0: warfare, so um, let's uh, let's go there. And you have outlines. Um, I don't know if we'll cover all this tonight, but maybe we will. And uh, we had our first lesson last week on worldviews, to have a, a worldview that involves the spirit realm, that there are demonic forces and angelic forces in this realm. And so as we're looking at spiritual warfare, we want to get the big picture of what's going on. So it's angelology tonight, basically. Demons and angels, where they came from, where they're working, how it's going on. And so let's get an overview of that, okay? And if you have questions, we'll discuss it and we'll talk about it. So I prepared a pretty intensive uh, outline for notes and scripture references. So let's find our way through all that, okay? Are you with me? We're on board. All right, is it too hot in here already? It's stuffy, isn't it? A fan? No, some of you are. How about a fan but not air? Okay, a fan but not air. Circulation. Thank you, Bill. All right, let's start at the top, everybody. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. It's the Holman Bible. I've used a number of different references here. Uh, For Scripture, Um, what we want to focus on as we look at that verse is the demonic realm and the angelic realm. We don't war or battle against flesh and blood. We talked about being in a war last week, didn't we? We have a a prime uh, enemy in the devil, and he uses all his forces against us. This is a battle. This is warfare. This uh, is—he wants to kill, steal, destroy. This is a very serious situation that we are in, and so we have to understand we're in a battle. We are against, now look at the names here, we're in a battle against rulers, okay? But now we battle every day against uh, little imps and, and lower level demons and attitudes of people and, and all sorts of different things, but when this says that there's rulers who are warring against us, and there are authorities And world powers and spiritual forces, that opens up the whole realm that we're in. Let's talk about where angels began, these spirit beings, where they began. And uh, we can kind of maybe narrow it down. A lot of these things we're just not going to know, okay? Because it's not really clear and specific in Scripture uh, in the spirit realm. It's left a little bit vague. So we can try to gain some ideas but we're not going to have a full revelation on it with complete clarity. I'm thinking the angels came along between uh, possibly in day one of all creation. Why do I say that? Look at Genesis 1, 31, and then chapter 2, verse 1. And God saw that everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them... Okay, so all the host, it's a Hebrew word for armies, all the host or everything that was in the heavens and the earth, okay, we do know that angels are spirit beings and they reside in the heavenlies. And so quite possibly this is also alluding not just to the physical things that exist in the physical universe like the stars and solar systems and all that, that would be the host in the heavenlies. But could we also be speaking on a spiritual plane that that was also the time the host was made? Now we know that the angels were created and they don't multiply. So they are each individually, specifically created and made by God. And we know that in Job 38 it says, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? God asked Job. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So there's a clear indication that the angels were around before the foundations of the earth. So he, in the beginning, made the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was on it. and, And you know the rest of this, okay? And that's the first day. So could it be that as he made all the host of them in the six days... It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Could it be that when he made the heavens, he made the spirit realm and the angels as well, and then when he made the earth, they were singing about that creation of the earth? Could it be in that spot that the angels were created? Possibly. It must be. We know they're created before the earth. It could have been before the heavens that he made all the spiritual things, but I'm thinking not I'm thinking when he created the heavens and God said it's at that moment that the word Jesus the word uh, speaks forth the will of God for all of creation all things were created for him all things were created by him it would make sense that here on this first day when he is beginning all creation when he moves to the heavens he's creating all things in the spirit realm and in the heavenly realm and then the earth and the physical realm does that make sense So I think that's where they're made. Uh, So we'll go from there. All right, now, from that verse, we're going to see that there are really two divisions of angels. Job 38.7 says this, When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now, morning star angels are glory angels. They're the glorious ones who are in the heavenlies around the throne. We know that there are seraphim, Isaiah 6.1. Remember when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up? He saw the throne of God, and he saw the seraphim. Now, those are the angels that have six wings, right? Two to cover their eyes, two to cover their feet, and two to sustain them over the throne of God. And they are continually saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, almighty creator of heaven and earth. The whole earth is full of His glory, right? Okay, so, interesting, we don't know if they are saying it. There's three above the throne that it says. We don't know if they're saying it in unison, or if they're saying it one, then the next one, then the next one, then it goes back again, and it is a continual praise, and declaration of God. When you're that close to God, every fiber in your being must praise Him. Right? I mean, there's no, there, there's no alternative it's, it's but to, to declare His glory and His majesty because you're that close to perfect love, perfect peace, perfect joy, perfect goodness, perfect justice, perfect, uh, I mean, you just resonate with all that and it's a glory to be in that place. And so they sustain that there. That's the seraphim. They're the morning stars, another group of angels that are morning stars, and is the cherubim. All right? The cherubim uh, is another group of angels, right? They're guardians and protectors, and they look like this, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> That's the cherubim. <laughs> that is not the cherubim. Now, it's interesting when you go and you write cherubim in there. That, that this is based on Greek mythology and, and uh, Roman uh, ideology. It's interesting. I was watching a YouTube, uh, I don't know how long ago, uh, from a Muslim teacher who was kind of uh, uh, giving a tongue lashing to a Christian, a young Christian student. And he was making fun of the Christian God. And he was saying, "You, let me read you a verse. And he was reading, I think it's Psalm 90, where it says that God rides upon the cherubim, you know, and, and that uh, God rides upon the cherubim up, upon the clouds of the earth. And, and he's going, how ridiculous is it that your God rides on little baby angels with little wings? And that he needs these little babies to get around because he can't otherwise. And the kid had nothing to say because he's going, oh, I guess so it says cherubs, it says cherubim. But the young man unfortunately didn't know enough to know that is not the biblical cherubim, is it? No, the biblical cherubim are awesome and mighty. They're guardian angels. They're covering angels. And uh, so they're called morning star angels. the. The thing about cherubim angels we recognize in, in Genesis, they're the angels that protected the garden, the tree of life. So they are guardian or protecting angels. It says that they, uh, in the book of Revelation, that they surround the throne. Okay? And so as covering cherub, wherever God went, they covered his presence. It says in in Ezekiel when it talks about Lucifer who is the anointed cherub, the covering cherub. It calls him a morning star. So these would be in the classification of the glorious angels. uh, They have, uh, in Ezekiel, they have four heads. The head of a man, the head of an eagle, the head of a bull uh, or or a, a cow, and the head of a lion. Okay? And they have... Uh, two sets of wings, and when Ezekiel saw them, he said that, that their wings were filled with eyes, seeing all things. And you'll get that wheel inside of a wheel. Read Ezekiel chapter 1. And uh, you know what? Read Ezekiel, and you'll just get kind of blown away with with this, the spirit realm. Read the first five chapters and try and deal with it. So angelic beings let me ask you this you know how many of you have ever gone to the zoo anybody all right anybody ever watch the nature channel there are so many diverse kind of animals aren't there and diverse birds and insects and animals and amphibians and all this why wouldn't the spirit realm be as diverse and colorful and glorious do you know i mean it it we need to recognize that Uh, one thing we do recognize is that there is no uh, another thing you'll find with cherubs or cherubim uh, if you google them they'll all be women you can't find angels uh, typically in our society anymore that are male almost all angel little statues of angels all references to angels are are female or babies That is absolutely not biblical. There's not one female angel in the Bible. There are no female angels, okay? There's no baby angels. And when you die, you don't get wings to become an angel. This is all bad theology, all right? The cherubim are covering angels. They're powerful angels. So the cherubim and the seraphim are what we would reference as morning star angels or, or glory angels. They're in the throne room of God and move with God, covering God and around his glory and his purpose. Okay. Now the next one are called the sons of God. Now, Any reference to son of God means immediate creation by God. We've become sons of God because we are born again. And so we're born of His Spirit, so we become sons of God. But the angels are called sons of God because He, again, created them. Now, this group of angels... uh, Oh, I had another picture for cherubim. There you go. Now, this other group, the sons of God angels, angels that are created, you'll see a whole other group of these that move to do the Lord's bidding. They're called flames of fire. They are called messengers. The angelos in, in Latin or in Greek for angel means Messenger. They do the Lord's bidding. So these angels, all in Scripture, uh, look like men, look like people. All right? It, and most references to messenger angels don't have wings. All right? The Morning Star ones do. The, uh, but, but the Sons of God angels just appear as men. Okay? And uh, they are also known in the book of Daniel as watchers. They are archangels. There are flames of fire. They are thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. Okay? No females, but they all appear as males. How many of you saw the Bible on TV in the last time? Right? And those angels showed up. Now, all of them showed up in military garb. I thought that was kind of appropriate because they're the host or the armies of heaven. These are the foot soldiers. These messengers are the foot soldiers that do and move and are ranked to do the will of God into the physical creation and and to watch over and declare His will. Okay, And so that's the angels. So we've got morning star angels that are winged, that are glorious. They're in the throne room of God. They're the seraphim. They're the cherubim. And then we have the sons of God angels that are basically messengers and watchers and authorities and powers to do the will of God in the earth. All right, now let's uh, take a look at Satan and try and figure out what he was and where he came from. Turn with me to Ezekiel, chapter twenty-eight. Ezekiel twenty-eight. It's after the Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Ezekiel 28, and we're going to start at uh, verse 11 or 12. We'll start at 12. Now, the uniqueness about this portion of Scripture in Ezekiel 28, he's, Ezekiel is writing by the anointing of God to the king of Tyre. who. So this verse speaks to the king of Tyre, but it also speaks past him, to the description of lucifer because it's going to describe some things about the king of Tyre that don't apply to him so we know he's speaking to him and god in essence is using this king as a reference to speak to his situation but also to describe past him the reality of who lucifer was okay so let's take a look at that uh Moreover, verse 11 of 28, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Was that king in in the garden of Eden? Uh, No. I mean, he was living at this time in history, and he was just a man. So obviously he's speaking... Well past the King of Tyre, and he's speaking as we'll see specifically about lucifer now let's 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 just back up a little bit. You were the signet, or the seal of perfection. What does that say about Lucifer? Perfection's completeness. It was like the best thing God ever made. All right, perfect in all his ways, just glorious and full of wisdom and Perfect in beauty. We don't think of Lucifer like that, do we? We think of him with a pitchfork and red and horns, right? And he would like us to think of him like that so that we could be deceived. So, I mean, I wonder if when we see him, we'll be awestruck at his beauty and full of wisdom. Now, how is he using that wisdom? To do everything he can against... The will of God. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardis, topaz, diamond, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald. Crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. All right, now some people have referenced this to the breastplate of the high priest, all the beauty of the stones. Some say that literally he's like jewelry. He was just covered in these gorgeous stones i don't know if this is um literal or if this is figurative language but what is most precious to people these rare stones and and settings of gold and jewelry we adorn ourselves with them so he again is saying his beauty is unmatched can you imagine all that glistening and glimmering in the presence of god's glory it's reflecting his glory And so you were beautiful, you were precious. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. Now some have speculated that the anointed guarded cherub might even be that after Adam and Eve fell, that God assigned Satan to guard the tree of life. that's kind of an interesting concept isn't it i don't know what to do with it but anyways i've just given you different ideas you were an anointed guardian cherub so who did he guard as a cherub what was their job to stand before the very throne of god yet he is the anointed one he is the one that is perfect in beauty and glory i placed you how about that Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. So what was his problem? Pride. And isn't that the original sin, right? Pride. And so he was proud of who he was. He thought he was so beautiful and so smart. And he was so beautiful, and he was so smart. But that's a problem, isn't it, when it becomes his own glory. He would glory in the sight of God. What does the Bible say? No flesh shall glory in the sight of God. No one shall have their own glory in competition to God. I mean, God's the one who made us. How could we say how great we are when we're standing in front of the one who made us? You've got to give the praise back to the one who made you. How could you take credit for that? I made you perfect in all your ways. And he said, hey, I'm perfect in all my ways. Yeah, I made you that way. That's a real issue. All right, and you can see how that can get to us. Uh, It's a real issue for us. Pride is a major issue for us. In our fallenness, we're always uh, trying to deal with pride, and we're also trying to deal with our insecurities, And so it's such a hard thing to vacillate. You know where your safe place is? Worshiping God. Honor Him for all things. Appreciate what He's done in you, but give Him all the glory. It's the safest place to be. Worshiping and honoring God. Now, turn to Isaiah 14. And let's get another perspective. Same thing. Speaking of a king, but now this time... He's speaking to the king of Babel. Isaiah 14, verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn! How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low! You said in your heart... Now, okay, now we're getting into the heart issue of Lucifer. I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high, I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will make myself like the most high, but you are brought down to Sheol to the far reaches of the pit, and those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you, is this the man who made the earth tremble? All right, so again, now we have a little further understanding of his pride issue, right? And so here's an interesting concept. He said, I will rise. I will do this. And what commentators and what a lot of people believe is what he wants to do now is he wants to have authority over the whole physical created universe, okay? Now, God obviously is ruler over all, right? And he set man to have dominion on the earth and over all the things that god created psalm 8 right what is man that thou art mindful of and has given all things under his feet all right so we had dominion and authority but who wants dominion and authority over everything satan i'm going to ascend i want to be ruler over all this i'm perfect in all my ways i am beautiful i am awesome i am amazing and i want to rule everything that was his issue right And he has been on that pursuit from the beginning, right? That's where he went into the garden in the the most crafty, in the subtle of all creatures to do exactly that, to bind Adam and Eve under the curse so that he could ascend to authority and rulership. Though man still has dominion over the earth by the authority of God, they're subject to sin and death, which the devil oppresses them with and subjects them, all right? So that's where we see Lucifer. He was a covering cherub. He was perfect in his ways. So again, we have to be wise, brothers and sisters, as Christians, as we battle the devil. Now, most of us will never uh, see, have to deal with him. The devil is not omnipresent. How many of you know what omnipresent means? What's it mean, omnipresent? Omnipresent. Yeah, everywhere once. He is not, he cannot be everywhere at one time. There's only one God who is omnipresent. Right? God is omnipresent. He's not all powerful. All right. Only God is. There's no yin and yang here. Satan is not equal to God and Christ. All right. He is a created being. He can only be in one place at one time. And he cannot know the thoughts. He's not omniscient, omnipresent or all-powerful. He's just (laughs) well-connected. But you and I will probably never run into Lucifer or Satan, you know, because I mean he can only be at one place at one time. Is he going to spend his time with me? You know, he'll send his other underlings to deal with us. And uh, so the thing with Lucifer, though, is as we're rebuking devils and we're Yelling at them and casting and speaking against them, let's remember the level of authority that they were created with and the intelligence and power that they operate in. I only say that so that we're not foolish and we don't, you know, uh, we don't want to undermine our authority, but we also don't want to be played the fool by an enemy that's powerful. Okay? So, let's understand the forces we're dealing with. All right, let's go on. Any questions? No? All right, let's keep going. Okay, so, now this is interesting. Uh, Jesus says this about him. He was a murderer from the beginning. He was a murderer from the beginning. What do you think he means by that? He, was, he killed what did he murder? Anybody got an idea? Yeah. If you The day you eat of this fruit, you shall surely what? Die. Spiritually. And, and he knew that, and he intentionally, logistically thought and planned this out on how to murder the human race. All right? And spiritually to do that. Now, he was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Is there any redeeming value to Satan? Any redeeming virtue to him? You know, some people say, What if Satan got saved? <laughs> Jesus makes it really plain. There's almost this sense of, I don't know. When I read that, maybe I'm projecting my own feelings, but when I read that, I I have a sense of uh, righteous indignation in Jesus against this, this one. There's nothing, there is no truth in him. Absolutely no truth in him. All right? He speaks out of his own character. So, what does he continually reveal? He is a liar and a murderer and a thief you can't trust him you don't want anything to do with him you do not want to listen to him we've got to have that attitude because I believe that many of us listen to the lies of Satan now again when I make reference to Satan Um, I'm making reference to his plans and his schemes that are carried out by all the other demons and, and those familiar spirits that are involved in our lives. It can all trace back to his plan and scheme to destroy us. But many of us believe him. We've got to begin considering what does the word of God say about us? And what are we believing that the devil has been getting us to believe about us? We've got to have such a hatred and indignation against his lies that we would refuse to believe them, but many of us are chained to them. Many of you believe that you're stuck in the situation you're in. Many of you believe that there's no value in you and you are worthless and God can't use you. Well, what does the word of God say about you? I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. What I've begun in you, I can complete. I will complete. Unto him who is able to keep us from falling, I can bring you into a place of righteousness. We've got to believe that instead of the lies. We've got to get angry about the lies we're believing. And begin to refuse to walk in them. Amen? Now, this is interesting. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. he says, Paul says this, that Satan can transform himself into an angel of light. Now, giving uh, giving you those two distinctions of angels, sons of God and and, um, those uh, morning stars, uh, a cherubim, as we see in the book of Revelation, the living creatures with those four heads, and you saw them in Ezekiel, that's what a cherubim looks like. That's really what Satan would look like. He's a cherubim. He'd have four heads, the head of a man, the head of a cow, the head of a lion, the head of an eagle. But he can transform his visage and his image into a son of God or a messenger angel, an angel of light, so that he would look beautiful, he would look amazing, or he may look like a man and you wouldn't know. So in other words, watch out. He's got a lot of disguises and he could look glorious, he could be amazing. And we've heard stories of of different religions and different cults that have had visitation by angels to give them truths from beyond the veil. Right? And what are they? Lies, distortions. He has no problem healing people, delivering people, doing miraculous things for people to get them to believe the false doctrines and the lies. We have to be a people who not only do we believe in the supernatural and we believe in healing and gifts, but we're not going to believe that that's the full counsel. We've got to have the Word of God. In the last days, there there will be lying wonders and signs. You're going to begin seeing people who have false doctrine but are going to be laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. Now, How many Christians are we going to lose over that? who depend everything on the supernatural gifts. It's got to be a healthy balance of Spirit and Word. It's got to line up with the Word of God. Alright? Now, it says in Revelation 12, 4-9, His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. All right, so the Bible gives us reference to how many fallen angels there are. How many are there? A third. A third of all the angels are fallen angels. Okay? Well, that, you know, let's do the math. How many are left on the good side? Two thirds. Yes. So nobody could answer it. Uh, as God, did God create the bad and the wrong? Never. Did God say that? The wrong and the bad? No. So from where did the, the demon uh, brought their, uh, what is wrong, what is bad, etc.? From where they got it? The bad and the evil? Yes. Yeah. From that which is not of God. He didn't create it. He cr- rebellion created it. They got it from everything that is not God. Now that's an abstract thought, but if God is perfect love, to, to rebel against that is then to have that which is not love. If God is light and to not want light, you become what? Darkness. So they are everything that is the opposite of his character and nature. So that's where evil came from. And it all starts from rebellion from God himself. Does that make sense? So if if you have light and you remove yourself from the light, you will have darkness. There is no such thing as darkness. And uh, Daisy, here's another example Evil is the absence of good. Darkness is the absence of light. These are things that don't have existence on their own. They exist because of what they are not. Does that make sense to you? Okay. And so that's the key here. That's the point here. There is outer darkness because they remove themselves from the light. Darkness doesn't even exist. It's an absence of light. Death does not exist. Death is the absence of what? Life. And so his goal is to take people from God so that they will be in the place of death. All right? Hell is going to be a place of outer darkness. It's going to be everything that God is not. Okay? All right, great question. Very profound. Very good. Now, uh, okay, so one-third of the angels have gone with Lucifer. And as we read in Ezekiel and we read in Isaiah, it's because he trafficked his wares, says in the King James. He trafficked his deceptions. How in the world? This is what gets me, okay? And this is where we have to be extremely sober in our spiritual warfare. You can't, uh, here's the trick of the enemy, you can't get cocky with it. You can't get to the place that, come on demons, I know how to deal with you. I can take you on. I know exactly what to do. I've got all the authority Christ has given me. Come on, let's go on. I'm going to take you on. Wow. You don't want to be there because the devil, you're playing right into his hands because that smacks of pride. You've got to be so careful. This is so, and, and so um, how did the devil get one-third of the angels to rebel against the living God that they saw and they knew. How do you do that? You have got to be really good. The best car salesman there ever was. <laughs> Seriously, a, a salesman, uh, uh, someone who could persuade you, his persuasions are amazing. Amazing right? How could, I mean, we've not seen God. Some of you might say, well, I had a vision, this and that. They were in the presence of God, the full presence of God, no veil of flesh or anything between them. And they decided to go with him instead of God. That's got to tell you something about the level of his persuasion. Wow. Wow. I I just don't get that. I don't get that. All right, so there's Lucifer. Now, let's start talking about the interaction between Lucifer, Adam, and Eve. We know what happened there. He went into the garden. What does he say that the serpent was? The most subtle. King James is subtle, right? And uh, here he is. He comes into the garden. What was Adam supposed to do? He had a job assignment. God said, what's that? dress and keep the garden right dress cultivate it keep protect it he was to protect the garden now who would he have to protect it against because there was no eating of animal to animal no devouring of animals right what what would you protect it from obviously lucifer and so he entered in through the serpent the most subtle i don't know how that all plays out how that all works and and how that you know god tells us all these things in story because its stories are have many layers and depth to them from from simplistic to profound go ahead Right, right, she did, yeah. So, and where did she get the information concerning the fruit? From Adam. Adam got it from God, Eve got it from Adam. Now the Bible does not hold Eve responsible. The Bible says that Eve was deceived. But the Bible, in fact, says sin entered the world through whom? Adam. Adam. And so the Bible holds Adam responsible. And when you read the account of the serpent talking to Eve, where's Adam? Right next to her. That I couldn't believe that when I read that. For so long I thought he was like, you know, I'm sure he's grooming the apples. He's doing something somewhere else. And by the way, we don't know if this was an apple tree that they ate, right? So, He's right there because it says she took the apple, bit it, and the, oh, the apple. She took the fruit, whatever it was, bit it, and gave it to him. He was standing right there. What's he doing? Wow. Now, God, now atheists like this and they make fun of this story because you got a garden, you got a talking snake, and you got this and that. Um, so they like to make fun of that. And then they say, see, God is a bad God because he doesn't want you to know good and evil. I don't think that's the case here. I think the case here is that God would want to instruct us as to what good and evil is versus us finding out what good and evil is. Wouldn't that make more sense? And the bottom line is simply obedience. Don't do that. So let's go on and see that there's some other strange events going on here. Let's go to Genesis 6. Uh, Let's turn there. There's some level of angelic connection here. Now this is all very debatable. Scholars don't uh, agree on this. Because again, it's vague. It's in that spirit realm. We're not going to know. But in Genesis 6, something Interesting happens, verse 1. When man began to multiply in the face of the land, the daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for his flesh; uh, for he is flesh, his days shall be at 120. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals, creepy things, birds and heavens, for I am sorry that I made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah walked with God. Verse ten. Uh, it says this in verse nine. There, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. What's going on here? Okay. Now let me give you one, uh, both typical versions. The one version is this: the sons of God went and saw the daughters of men. Okay? All right? And so what they say is there was a righteous line of men uh, who were the line from uh, uh, Seth, Adam's son, Seth. They're the godly line. They're being referred to as the sons of God. And they're seeing the daughters of men who are the unrighteous men, and they come together and cohabitate. And that creates Nephilim, the word giants. It's a Hebrew word. Nephilim means giants in the land. And these created sons of renown. And so that's all that's going on here that there are righteous men marrying unrighteous women, and then the wickedness of the earth gets so bad that God's got to destroy it. That doesn't add up, in my opinion. All right? Here's the other story. So, it's divided in Scripture uh, between theologians and scholars. The more conservative is that the sons of God are just the righteous sons of Seth and and this and that and marrying unrighteous women. Okay? The other view is this that the sons of God, as written in Scripture, in the book of Job and in the other passages that we've seen here, are actually angels. And that the angels have somehow. Come to Earth and mingled with physical women, and created a hybrid of man, which is called nephilim, which means strange flesh. It, it happens that one of the descriptions is that they're giants; they're they're big. But it, it it goes deeper than that. It the the word nephilim literally means strange flesh. It creates something that's out of God's creation norm, and. Therefore you have God saying that he is sorry he ever made man. I mean this says it says it goes to his heart. He said I have got to absolutely destroy everything because it has become so corrupted. And and so it's also interesting it says that they became the mighty men of old, men of renown. So let me contrast the two thoughts, okay? One is far-fetched in the sense that sons of God being angels, having sex with women, human women. Jesus said in Matthew that uh, there's no marrying in heaven, for angels will be as angels. They don't procreate. All right? So... But, in the same sense, if it's just righteous men marrying unrighteous women, how do you get strange flesh and these uh, men of renown from old? Uh, It's just normal procreation. Why would that make something so unusual? And how could you get... Why would that make God mad? Why would that grieve God to such a place? So, there's there's evidence on both sides. Personally, I go for the... Uh, Sons of God being the angelic realm. I believe that these are particular angels that have left, and we'll get into these scriptures in a few minutes, that have come down and somehow, I don't know how, somehow cohabitated with women. Now, do angels have seed? Do they have DNA? And and we need to consider some of these thoughts. And there's different ideas. Some people say possibly. They may not have a body but they may have they were made by God. They may have some level of DNA or something. Or did they enter into physical men to possess them and use them with the women? I don't know. Bible doesn't say. But it does say this. It says that the uh, the byproduct of what happened here Created strange flesh, people of renown, power, and might like the earth had never seen. All right, so that's something wild. And it says that it corrupted them so much that every imagination of the thoughts of their heart was evil continually. They didn't have a good thought in them, that they were so corrupt. It corrupted, and see, this is the thing. I believe beyond just them being bad people, because wasn't the human race already fallen? So what would make this any different? They got more fallen? They got more worse? If it's just righteous men marrying unrighteous women, yet they're all under the power of sin, and they're doing corrupt things, why would that grieve God's heart that He ever made man? Because sin had gotten to such a place of corruption? Possibly. But I'm thinking this. When you look at the passage concerning Noah, it says that he was perfect in his generations. The Hebrew word there, in, in the, I was using the English standard which used blameless, is an interesting Hebrew word, talmim, and it is a technical word used for animal sacrifices, meaning that they should be without blemish. That is a reference to the physical feature of the animal, not the moral attribute of a lamb. So Noah was perfect or blameless or physically intact without, without the corruption of what was going on with the human race. Let me paint the scenario for you. I believe what's taking place here is this is the world before the flood, which is strange and different than the world we even know today. Right, The planet it was even different. The planet had a whole different uh, uh, identity and form and being before the, the plates of the earth began to shift and the vapor around the earth began to collapse. I mean, it was a different earth. Peter calls it the earth that then was. It's the earth that was created in perfection in Eden before the flood came, shifted the axis, and everything began to shift and break apart. And the the span, the age of man was into the 900s, right? Methuselah and all this. So, I mean, this is a whole different earth. He's saying back, strange earth, you know, I mean, it's different than what we understand now. So these angels come down, they cohabitate with women, they have offspring, somehow their DNA mingles with the DNA, and we believe that obviously they're fallen angels because angels of God would not do this. And so they cohabitate with women on purpose so that they are beginning to alter the very DNA and identity of man, creating these hybrids of angel and men. Now that's tough to consider, but I, I, I lean that way. And... And in doing this, God has got to stop this because the only salvation for mankind is going to come from the seed. Right, The seed of the woman is going to bruise the head of the serpent. It's going to destroy the works of the devil. And so God had to put a stop to it. He said, I'm not going to strive with man any longer. I've got to put a stop to this. He found Noah, who was blameless or didn't cohabitate and any of his ancestors with these angelic beings or those who had with the angelic beings, his DNA, his chromosomes were right And still, under the pattern of how God made them, He said, I need to save him and his family out of this corruption. I got to wipe all the corrupt uh, people off the face of the earth for the sake of saving mankind. Let me help you with a couple more verses. Turn your page over and look at Jude chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, King James says they left their first estate. They didn't stay in the realm that they were created in. That's what he's basically saying. The angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the day of judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. He's talking about damnation, and he's talking about punishment, and he's relating it to sexual sin, and he's talking about angels who left their dwelling, left their position, and because of their sexual activity, that's how you could understand this, again, relating it to unnatural relations, angel to human, God put them in a place of judgment and chained them there. That's where these angels are, the ones who created the Nephilim. Let's go on. Peter talks about it too. Second 2 Peter 2.4 For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Now if you'll read the rest of that portion of Scripture, he goes on to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah and sexual sin. Both Jude and Peter relate this fallenness of the angels with some kind of sexual sin. And he says he he took these angels and put them in hell. Now that's our English translation. If you look in the Greek, the right word translation for that is Tartarus. That's not the normal word for hell. Hades and Sheol are the right words for hell. And Gehenna, the lake of fire, the future hell. But there's this reference to Tartarus. What is Tartarus? Tartarus is the place of dark and gloom that these angels are chained to. Are, fallen, are all fallen angels chained in darkness? I think they're pretty active. Paul says we war with them all the time. So if this is a reference to all the angels, something's not right because we war against principalities, powers, and rulers of the air, right? So there's only this is for a specific kind of angel that they have been put in the abyss, Tartarus. It's a special place reserved so that they cannot interfere with God's plans anymore. So what I believe is taking place here is this. That these particular angels, whatever their makeup was, left their position of authority in heaven, cohabitated with women, began to break the genetic code of man, began to corrupt it so that they could stop the redemption of mankind through the promised seed. God stops them, floods and destroys the earth, putting Noah, the one who had not been corrupted, the only one, in an ark of safety to save the family, which inevitably is going to save the world, he takes these angels that do this thing. Maybe they're, maybe they're a kind of angel that could do something with physical women. Listen, can angels move physical objects? Yeah. Don't you remember the day of the resurrection? How did the stone move? Angels. Says so an angel took the th- the stone that was before the-, the tomb and threw it. So if angels can do physical things, uh, maybe they can do more physical things than we thought with women. <laughs> so these angels are then put in this place of Tartarus, which is called the abyss. Okay. Now is that the end of Tartarus? No. We find it again later. Where do we find the abyss being unlocked and unchained? book of Revelation throughout the entire book. In the last days. There's a particular figure who's going to come out of it called Abaddon. So what's happening, and then these demons are going to be unleashed. Tartarus is going to be opened up. And these angels that were from back in Genesis 6 are going to be loosed again. Could it be? Now this is pure speculation. You can throw it out with the dishwasher, dishwater. Keep your dishwasher. I don't know. Thought I'd go for a saying. Could could they be the ones that look like aliens that are creating alien encounters? that seem to be moving in the heavenlies and beginning to create another lie that people are beginning? Have you been watching TV, movies, kids' programs and everything? The, the next generation of kids are going to have no problem if an alien walks in the middle of their street. They're going to go, I played you at my last video game. I mean, everything is pointing to these strange creatures and everything. Kids aren't scared of this stuff at all. Revelation says, take a look at what Revelation says these angels are going to look like when they come out of the abyss. Everything your kid's already been playing on video games and in the movies. I was in Pennsylvania last night, yesterday, uh, at, a, at a meeting uh, all day, and at the end of the night I, uh, I got home very late in the hotel and I, I sat down, and I, I needed to unwind, so I turned the TV on, and there's a movie called Cowboys and Aliens. <laughs> what? Co- Cowboys and Aliens. But I'm watching these aliens, and I'm thinking, man, this is the book of Revelation. Right? So, so potentially, possibly, this stuff can all tie in. What we do know biblically, I prefer, and I think it is harmonious with the rest of scripture that genesis 6 is these angels coming down and cohabitating now this is another theory of where demons come from Uh, and and i i don't know so (laughs) don't look at me but uh i don't know where they come from two possibilities actually there's three Three speculations as to where demons come. Number one, the simplest is, demons are fallen angels. That whole host of the one-third that fell with Lucifer are demons as well. And that's been my normal belief. I'm beginning to adjust that belief because there is an interesting way in which the Bible says you are to talk to fallen angels or rebuke them or speak to them and the way you deal with demons. Demons seems to be a little bit of a difference. When you're talking to these rulers and powers and authorities in the air, you are to have the Lord rebuke them and deal with them. But demons themselves, you're supposed to be pretty you know, strong and, and powerful in dealing with them. Now, that's one idea, is that demons are basically just the fallen angels and they're all in one. Here's the second idea. Demons are the spirits of the Nephilim that were destroyed in the flood. They're disembodied spirits roaming the earth and in the earth realm because they were destroyed in the flood. The angels are locked up. Those those demonic angels got locked up. But these disembodied spirits are the demons of the earth. Walking, as Jesus says, in dry, arid places seeking a body or a house or a host that they could dwell in. possible okay the third alternative that other people have used for these demons is this which is called the gap theory the idea that there was a pre uh existing creation before adam and eve and that there was uh creatures and people or or uh uh, some realm of creature that god created before this whole Adam and Eve, because when God moved over the earth, it was tohu, bohu, or it was formless and void, and chaos was over the deep, and God brought peace and recreated earth, and that however he destroyed it in the past, those are the disembodied things. For me, I don't buy that, because Paul tells us in Corinthians, death entered the world through Adam, not some other preexistent civilization and so i have a problem with that and the whole idea of formless and void tohu and bohu formless is that there was no form to the earth yet it was embryonic it was void of life because he didn't create it yet i don't think it was chaos so i'm leaning towards the nephilim as the that demonic realm either one they're there however they got there fallen angels or disembodied spirits of Nephilim You got two to contend with. They're in the air and they're on the ground. Right? All right. Now, any other questions? I told you it's a long night. Just discussion. Yeah, Harriet. Yeah. Oh, good question. I I would think yes. that minimizes the number doesn't it but then you got them stinking nephilim spirits which are many that's a great question i i I would imagine it would have been the part of that third because where else would they have come from so they had to be numbered that's a great question Yeah, there is a big teaching on that. Uh, I'll tell you, we have someone who goes to this church who is an absolute expert on all of this stuff. Alien abduction and all this, and that's Jim Wilhelmsen, Pastor Jim Wilhelmsen. Uh, He lived in Roswell, he's done so much studies, he's written a book. Uh, This guy is an absolute expert. What's sad is that he has written so much, he knows so much, Spend 10 minutes with him and, and you're, you're going to be going, what? <laughs> it's deep, man. It's good stuff. I, I'd love to have him do a seminar here. Here's what's sad is is that he's written all this stuff and people are ripping him off. Uh, the big name writers in, in alien abduction and all that, they're taking his ideas, they're putting them in, his, in their books and he's taught so many people about this stuff. He's real cutting edge. He did this before. It was very popular. And... Uh, Um, people are ripping him off all the time. But I I thank God he's here. He comes to our church. And uh, uh, so we'll have to have him out sometime. What do I feel about that with the Nephilim here now and angels? Uh, You've heard of people who have sexual experiences with angels. You hear of alien abduction, and that's what's going on here. And they're messing again with the the DNA and all, all this activity. To be honest with you, I have no idea. I mean, I like watching the YouTube things, you know, there's lizard people among us and all that, but you got to be careful with it. Uh, you really do. Because the enemy is so tricky that it can be kind of out there, but it can be so out there that it pulls you off into the fringe and you're missing the, the, the central issues. Right? Or you can completely ignore it and say it's all National Enquirer stuff, and it's stupid and silly, and it's all this. But I think there's a realm beyond us that's really kind of crazy. That we've got to realize is out there. I have no idea. I'm still gathering my thoughts on it, too. All right. Yeah. way out there, but I've always been fascinated by the Yes. So possibly maybe Many believe that. Many believe that these men of renown, this age—in other words, how did some of these cultures get these ideas of these gods that were in the earth, and the Greek gods, the the Roman gods, uh, um, some of the ancient concepts? Some believe this is that they're part of the the understanding of what happened before the flood. It became part of their mythology. And sure, with time it can get a little bit distorted, but they really think that it's all part of that possibly time before. You look at Egyptian gods. They look like the cherubim. You look at some of the other gods that have animal heads, physical human body traits, and these different things. Sounds like the Bible. Sounds like you know, there was a connection back then. Now, let's keep going, okay? We, we're good? All right, let's stay in the land of strange. <laughs> About 100 years after the flood, another event takes place. The Tower of Babel. And so, the Tower of Babel comes along, and there's something more to the Tower of Babel, then the human race getting together and building a really tall building. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, God's mad they're building a skyscraper. When it said they were building a building to the stars or to the sky, it's not that it was really tall. But there's another dimension to that, obviously. They're trying to connect to the spirit realm. I've heard all sorts of different ideas and thoughts and using the special stones they were using and using quartz to connect radio waves and different things to the angelic realm and different things. New Agers love stones. How many of you know that? Different auras, different connections, different all this. That's all a throwback to what's been going on. And so the Tower of Babel is something's going on to where they're trying to reach the extraterrestrial, the extra this. When I say extraterrestrial, as far as aliens and uh, UFOs and all that, I believe it's just all demonic. It's all the, uh, the fallen angel realm, okay? So they're, they're connecting, and something happens at that time. In Deuteronomy 32, I'd like you to look on your outline there and, and see... It says this, When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when He divided mankind, He fixed the borders of the peoples according to the numbers of the sons of God. That's interesting, isn't it? All right. Now, some translations say the sons of Israel. Now, again, that's coming from the conservative point because they want to make reference to sons of God all the way back to Genesis 6 because sons of God is righteous people. But again, that really doesn't hold up. Righteous people and unrighteous people don't make giants. Okay? Here, so they're just trying to be conservative. The the actual translation, best translation, is sons of God. Okay? Which again is reference to angels. Now, when did God divide mankind? Tower of Babel, right? He confounded their language so that they would what? Scatter. Interesting, possibly, that when he divided mankind and he's fixing their borders, he's sending them out according to the number of the sons of God. So here's the concept that God was causing mankind to go out to multiply, to fill the earth, and he was sending them out and setting their borders according or matching angelic hosts to the borders and countries that were being established. God was putting in the heavenlies the divisions of nations and uh, boundary lines of the earth based on a heavenly hierarchy as well. Let's look at what Paul says in Acts 17, 26. And he made from one man, and I like the King James. Uh, The older transcripts don't have this, but the King James does. And he made from one blood every nation. And, And the reason I want to emphasize he made from one blood, because what would happen if angels came down and cohabitated with human women? The blood, the DNA, everything would change. We need a pure blood. Noah was the one who kept the blood pure, and he destroyed the rest of the race. It kind of goes on with it. The heavens... uh, Nope, here we are. And he made from one man or one blood every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Why? That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. I find that interesting. The reason God specifically separated the nations and put them where they should be is because he had a plan that would cause them to wonder about him and draw them to him. That's cool. God's got a salvation plan in everything. Now, think of it that if he set angels, principalities, and powers over those nations, what would their assignment be? Draw this nation to the knowledge of God. Now if you had an enemy and you saw that God was setting up this kind of a grid system over the nations, what would you do to counteract it? Set up the same system. And set up demon, or should I say, fallen angel powers and principalities in the air over the same nations that have angelic powers over the air. Now we've got a war in the heavenlies. Look at Psalm 89. This is interesting. The heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness too. In the assembly of the holy ones, for who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround Him. Is that other gods? Is that Greek gods and God? No, what many people believe, what it's talking about is that that council of angelic beings that God established over all the nations in the heavenlies. They're the heavenly council. They're the ones who are in the second heavens overseeing the areas and districts that God had subdivided in the earth and the people groups, and they're his council. And they recognize there's no one like God. This wisdom to do this is awesome. And in the heavenlies, there's none like God's wisdom. And so what would happen if they met every now and then? Hmm, Job 1.6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. So the council of heaven, in other words, God had established this angelic authority in the heavens around the the planet and they're coming to report to God as to what's going on. That's what Job's talking about. And one day, who shows up? Lucifer. And you know the story. He said, Lou, what have you been doing? And he said, I've been traveling throughout the earth, right? And so I'm sure he's investigating his own troops that he set up over these other places, and God sets up Satan. It's a trap. He says, hey, come here, come here. Have you ever considered my servant Job? God's willing to put Job in a battle against Satan. Ultimately, who wins? Job and God. Satan does all sorts of things, but in the end, Job wins. It was a setup. It's a a picture of Christ defeating Satan. Read the book of Job. It's an interesting thing when you begin to put it in that, that light. Now, so let's get some more evidence on this. Daniel 10:13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the king of Persia. Then he said, and it goes on the verse 20. Do you not know why I've come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I've gone forth, indeed the prince of Greece will come. What is this about? That's an angel talking. This is in fact, who is it? Gabriel. No, no, it's it's an angel. Uh, We don't know his name. Or is it Gabriel? I don't know. He needed Michael to come help him. Read it up and, and find the answer. All right. So he's coming. Daniel prayed For 21 days, the angel comes to him and says, God heard your prayer the first day. I was dispatched to come. So I'm coming to you. You're in Babylon. As I'm coming to you, the prince, or better said, the principality over Persia would not let me through. Who's the principality over Persia? Some fallen angel that has that territory to guard against the will and work of God. And so the angel says, I had to fight him. I had to get through to you because that was my job. God told me to go to Daniel, and I tried to get to you. But I couldn't. So I said, Michael, please come help me. Michael showed up, man. Yeah, don't you love. I, I want an angel that's bad, man. I mean, you know, in the good sense. You know, Michael said, man, don't mess with my boy. Just bam! And the angel could get through Give him the message, and he said, I gotta go back, and guess who I gotta fight again? That principality over Persia. But then he said, Then I gotta fight the principality over Greece. Now that is a fascinating statement. Why is that fascinating? Greek hadn't, Greece hadn't conquered Persia yet, but history proves us that it does. It's the next world empire after the Medio-Persian Empire. The Greek Empire came. And what came with it? demonic angels that would cover and govern its territories and the angel said now i gotta fight them too so there is a council of angels or a structure of angels wow i missed all these pictures there we go uh and to think i spent a lot of time on them Uh, but what this shows us in the spirit realm then which makes sense for us when we read scripture in Colossians 1.16, For by him all things create, were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. What he says is there are powers then in the heavenlies that we are at war with. Okay, so pastor, why do, do we need to go through all this? So you understand the, the, the worldview of what we're in the middle of. We're not wrestling with flesh and blood on earth. There's demons we've got to deal with on earth. But also now in our prayer life, there are spirits over territories and in the heavenlies. We've got to pray through. We've got to pray for the will of God to break through, we quit too early or we pray too small. There's warfare going on in the heavenlies. Do you think that there are principalities that are, that are evil over the United States? Do you think that there are spirits evil over Michigan? How about over Detroit? Roseville? Warren? Right? Right? So when we're praying and God is sending forth his angels to do his bidding and to do his will, to bring messages, us, words to us. Now we don't need angels anymore. We got the Holy Spirit. But yet there's warfare in the heavenlies going on to loosen, to break. There's, there are people inhabited by demons and, and fallen angels that are praying specific things and doing things in our region that we've got to break. That means warfare. So we've got to get to work on some of this stuff, brothers and sisters. Could I say that maybe some of you over your own house, let's think about it. Let's think about the strategies. Let me me break it down even further. Matthew says this. When Jesus is talking about these young children, he says even their angel who is in heaven sees them. So Jesus quite possibly is giving us an indication that there are angels assigned to people. Could there, If there are angels assigned to states and to nations and to cities, could they be assigned to homes? And if there's angels assigned to homes, do you think there's de- demons assigned to homes? Could there be familiar spirits assigned to ruin our lives? We need to be praying. There are certain things we do in the human realm that share the love of God, feed the poor, care for them, show the love. But there's things in the spirit realm that cannot be done any other way but prayer and authority in speaking against an enemy. Some of your marriages need deliverance. I mean, you're doing the best you can relating and all that. But some of you have gotten into a place where there's a demonic force involved in the relationship. Begin to bind that. Begin to pray over any demonic forces over your household. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to awaken.